0: This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. Why, hello, friends. Mr. Adam X, Pursuit Podcast. You're listening on the Out Collective. Sound had like a really humbling, grateful, neat experience on the internet. Uh, I asked an athlete to come on the show, and it was a bigger name athlete who you will you will hear soon but they were like oh my god yeah i love your show and i'm honored to be a guest i don't know why i'm telling you this maybe it's a brag maybe it's a realization of this is this is happening uh and it's really fun so thank you everyone for listening including the the guest that's coming up uh not this episode but i will i will talk about in the intro of their specific episode That being said, if you listen, if you like the show, leave a review, send a DM, follow me on TikTok, follow us on Instagram, you know, that's how you support us without doing much per se. Uh, I know we ask you, we have a lot of ads and we have a lot of sponsors and obviously we, you know, we tell you to buy stuff, but the biggest thing you can do is just comment on our posts, share our posts, um, leave a review. It takes seconds So Super simple. Uh, I just want to say thanks. Uh, We're going into fall. I've got some fantastic guests coming up, and then winter, we're going to be firing on all cylinders, so I'm super excited. Before we get into any of that, I need to give a shout out to my sponsors this week. We've got a couple, so... Hang tight, buckle up. Uh, my first sponsor, new sponsor for the collective, uh, they just signed on, Super Amped, 6, 686. Go to 686.com. Check out their collections. Uh, they have like outdoor wear, casual wear for everyone, male, female they have it. The men's everywhere pant is my go-to. It fits well. It doesn't make me look the way I look necessarily. Uh, Their new ATP stretch performance pant jacket, it's phenomenal. Go to 686.com, check out their entire collection. And their new winter collection is dropping, I believe it's 920. Yeah, they have a whole snow collection that's going to drop 920. Check it out. 686.com. My second sponsor this week, you guys are familiar with them, Onex Maps. OnexMaps.com. They make apps for outdoor adventures. It's that simple. Whether you're off-road, you're hunting. I know I've got a lot of hunting hunter friends onyx hunt check it out Uh, and the one i use the most is onyx backcountry it's so good it's like i'm literally finding so many spots that i didn't know existed in my local area Uh, you can find you know look at the topo look at the different slope angles and see what is skiable so i've been mapping it all out I'm telling you if you got if you live in western New York and you have access to my Onyx backcountry I, it would be so many secrets uh, but I'm not giving them to you onyxmaps.com use code outabounce and you can see everything it's it's phenomenal again onyxmaps.com use code outabounce I'm going to keep rolling on my sponsors here Woodchuck Hard Cider they've been doing it for 30 years I know cider's been become real popular lately Woodchuck Cider, again celebrating 30 years. From rose to perseco, sangria, amber, granny smith apples. Here's the thing it's available almost everywhere. I looked it up 20 mile radius from Buffalo. I can get it at Tops, Wegmans, beer outlets, 7 Eleven, local bars. Honestly, go to woodchuck.com. You can use their store locator. And they, this stuff is available everywhere. So go to the store, get yourself some woodchuck cider, and enjoy it. Again, they've been doing this for 30 years. I think they know what they're doing. Check them out. And now for my last sponsor, Rumpel. Rumpel.com, the original puffy blanket. You know that puffy jacket that you have on under your shell all winter they're doing that, but with a blanket. It goes anywhere, it does what you do, from the couch to the campsite to your hammock, to sitting in your car, having a coffee, maybe, you know, waiting to make another lap at the ski resort. Grumple.com, check them out. They make blankets, towels, gears. And what they did for me on this episode is they linked me with my guest, who is uh Twiggy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Twiggy. Grant Twiggy Baker, three time world big wave surfing champion. And we're talking big waves, like those scary, I don't know, 40 to 100 foot waves. That is where Grant shines. That is what he loves to do. His attitude is phenomenal. So thank you, Rumpel, for making that connection. And you can go to Rumpel.com, use code out of Bounds, save you a couple bucks. And like, they have so many things that I just want to buy everything on their website. So be careful when you go there. Honestly, it's for patio, for camping, for home. They they have everything. Uh, towels that do it, blankets that do it. Uh, you're gonna love it. That's the thing. I when I originally got mine, I was like, oh, this is just a camp towel. And now I sleep with it and I use it on the beach. So again, Rupple.com Use code out of bounds. And a special thank you for them for linking me with Twiggy and now i'm gonna let you guys listen to the episode i don't need a better intro than that twiggy's the greatest one of the greatest surfers if not the greatest surfer big wave on this planet earth he will never say that so i will you can check him out in episode four of HBO special um, edge of the earth episode four the great unknown ian walsh and twiggy they go to Africa's West Coast to find new insane waves. We talk about it, but I'll let you listen to that on the episode. Enjoy.
1: Um, well, my name's uh, Grant Twiggy Baker. I'm from uh, Durban, South Africa. And uh, I guess I'm a professional um, big wave surfer, if there's such a thing. Um, and I make, uh, I make surfboards. I import, export different stuff to and from south africa um i have a daughter six year old i'm married and uh yeah i just uh i basically surf
0: i like that you said you're kind of a pro surfer (laughs) like you have three big wave world championships is that correct i do have three big
1: wave world championships but um the amount that I get paid to professionally big wave surf wouldn't 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 quite cut it. I've I have, I have to do other things to kind of uh, supplement the, you know the income. Oh, I only do fun stuff. I only do fun stuff. I do I I just guarded uh, three of the best uh, surfers in the world up the west coast of Africa and showed them some new waves up there. Um, Seth Menese, Ethan Ewing, and Griffin Colapinto. and they paid me for that. So th- that was a job. <laughs> <laughs> i felt like i was robbing them at the same time because watching those guys surf is like a, such a gift but um yeah i do all sorts of different stuff right eh, to but i do get paid to surf so that makes me a professional surfer
0: yeah it is i don't i mean we won't just talk about money the whole time but it is sad that you're like arguably one of the greatest at big wave surfing and you still have to do other things to supplement your income
1: No, that's just the way it is. There's not that many big wave surfers out there. So, you know, it's not like being the best golfer or the best uh, tennis player or or something like that where there's kind of millions of people all vying and all working really hard to to be number one, you know. Um, And you need to be extraordinary to to, 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 to get to Novak Djokovic's level. I think, you know, there's not that many big wave surfers. So it's not... It's just... That's it. I mean, that's, that's economics, you know? And uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's never bothered me and uh, it's, yeah, it is what it is. Getting paid to surf is kind of a hard thing to swallow in the first place.
0: (laughs) That's true. But I mean, Kelly Slater, arguably a multimillionaire, arguably writing, and maybe I'm wrong. I've, I've surfed. I am not a surfer. By any means, if anything, I'm a giant poser who surfs behind a boat very often. It's just because of my location, but arguably big wave surfing is way harder. Why, why don't people care about it as much? Or why don't people, is it what? like, what is your opinion on that? Why are more people, what would we call regular surfing? One. Like just surfing? Uh, I wouldn't
1: say big wave surfing is more difficult. I think it, it, it's it's definitely more difficult to become a top-level um, regular surfer, you know, like Kelly Slater. Um, a, a big wave surfing is more of a, a mental endeavor. So you don't – I mean, you need to be a skillful surfer, but not at the level of Kelly Slater. But you need to have the mental fortitude to um, – to surf big waves. So it's a, it's a different skill set. And I mean, you know, popular opinion decides how much you should be paid in the end. And these days it's how many followers you've got on Instagram. I mean, I've got a mere 75,000 or whatever it is. Whereas Kelly Slater's got a couple million, So he definitely deserves to get paid a lot more than me.
0: Would you compare big wave surfing to mountaineering? Like it's more of, making a mission hoping weather lines up and then you know everything has to align it's not like skiing on a regular mountain on the daily and i'm just relating it to skiing because that's mostly our fan base um but that's what it seems like to me like this big wave style it's a mission you look at the weather report you fly somewhere you hang out on a coast presumably hoping that you can catch this perfect storm and catch that one wave.
1: Yeah, I guess um, an easy comparison would be uh, big wave surfing is more like backcountry skiing or snowboarding and um, y- regular surfing is more like half-pipe um, in, in the park, park-style uh, uh, skiing. Uh, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure the best backcountry guy doesn't make as much money as the uh, Olympic half pop champion. What's that guy's name that won won all of those things?
0: <laughs> I mean, there's a lot, but we could say Sean White. Sean White's probably the one White. of the highest. Sean paid. White, definitely. <laughs>
1: I mean, that guy. You know, yeah. I mean, he's amazing at what he does, and uh, you know, I watched that Olympic snowboarding incredible. But yeah, um, th- that would be the easiest comparison. Uh, country stuff is big stuff.
0: But I think I think that's important to to make that comparison so we understand because it is it's fairly new in the in the mainstream you've been doing it for a long time but i'm starting to see it Uh, and we'll talk about edge of the earth because that's putting it even more mainstream how do you get into this how does how does twiggy fall into just big wave surfing
1: um for me it was kind of a natural progression uh where i was growing up in durban the waves would get reasonably big but not very big and on those bigger days, I, I just seemed to, to really enjoy it. And then from there on the north and south coasts of Durban, um, it gets a little bit bigger. So I would go, you know, once I had a car, drive up and down the coast and surf a little bit bigger. And I enjoyed that. Eventually, it got me, that got me down to Jeffreys Bay, where it gets a little bigger. And down there, I met Cape Town guys. Now, Cape Town gets as big as anywhere in the world. Um, and those guys are like, oh, you like Jeffrey's Bay when it gets big, come and see us in Cape Town and we'll show you really big waves. And then after a while, uh, the big wave Africa event started down in Cape Town at a place called Dungeons. And those guys brought out some, uh, Americans and Hawaiians. And those Americans and Hawaiians were like, oh, well, you like it when Dungeons gets big, come and surf Mavericks and Hawaii with us and you'll really like it. And. That's kind of how it started. And eventually I found myself with jaws trying to paddle into 60 foot waves.
0: That was going to be. This took,
1: a long time. this took a long time. That took, you know, 10, 15 years, 20 years.
0: That was going to be my next question. How big of waves can you actually paddle into? Because some you get towed into, right?
1: Yeah, there's kind of a there's kind of a cutoff at the 60 foot mark so on the face. Um, the world record, I believe is 63 feet, um, by Aaron gold, the biggest wave paddled. Um, and after that, it goes into a, the tow realm where it becomes very difficult to get enough board speed when you're paddling in to physically catch the wave and you need a jet ski to pull you in. And I believe the world record was broken the other day. Uh, for the biggest tow wave by Sebastian Strunenegger, the, the, uh, G- uh, the German guy um, in Nazare. And that was in excess of 80 feet. So there is kind of a line there, but um, we're always trying to break it. I, and I, I, truly think, I truly believe if the conditions are right, it's not too windy um, and, and, and the swell's right, we could possibly paddle into a 65 to 70 footer eventually. And towing in, the guys can go as big as you, you know. Using a jet ski, it's just you know, it, it's you, know, you could possibly uh, tow into a hundred foot wave if, if if one came along. But does the ocean throw out a hundred foot waves?
0: You yeah, know, that's
1: yet to be found.
0: Right? Is there like a Excuse my ignorance in this, but is there like a purist, like some people only paddle into waves and they don't like the jet ski side of things, or is that just that's another tool to get you there?
1: Um, no, there are some purists that that won't use the jet ski, and um, you know uh, I respect them for that. Um, but at the same time, if you're going to really paddle into big waves, you're using jet skis anyway because you have to have safety. You know, if you're looking to catch a sixty foot wave. Um, with your bare arms, you need backup with a jet ski regardless as a safety mechanism. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have no problem with it. I will just from a, a purely probably ego standpoint, I'll try to use my arms until it's, you know, to the very, the, the highest level that, that I can, the biggest waves that I can but you know eventually i will say look i mean it's impossible to paddle and we've got to switch to jet ski and we've got to tow and i'm i'm happy to do that as well
0: and i mean you had a major major crash and it's all on film and you post on your youtube and it's like it's honestly like breathtaking to watch i'm sure it wasn't a fun experience but the coverage is insane of watching it but the jet ski kind of swoops in and picks you up for anyone who who hasn't seen it like These guys are just, I mean, they're six foot humans within 60 to 80 foot waves. Is there any safety net besides, because it's just you in a wetsuit is what it looks like. Are you wearing a life jacket? Is there a reason, like an inflatable one, I assume? Is there a reason you didn't pull it? And you kind of talked about it a little bit in the video, but like, how is this safe at all? Or is it just super loose and fast?
1: No, no, it's definitely, I mean, it used to be loose and fast. Um, it's become a lot more safe over the years. And uh, we've worked uh, really hard on, on improving the safety aspects of it over the years. And the inflatable vest is a big part of that. I, we, you know, we probably wouldn't be paddling into 60-foot waves if it wasn't for the inflatable vest because more than likely you, you are going to uh, drown. And for me in that wiper that you're talking about, I did attempt to pull the vest and we, we, you have two uh, chances on the front of your wetsuit chair, two levers that you can pull. And the first one that I pulled didn't work. And the second one was kind of a bit close to a wetsuit um, tightening, uh, kind of clasp thing. And I think I went across to that and I, and I pulled that instead. So it was kind of a, A comedy of errors in in that but interesting to see that I could you know uh, come up and survive that but I think if my leash had broken on that wave and the vest hadn't worked I think I would have been in big trouble and I probably wouldn't have um, come up because obviously your leash is a lifeline in itself because the board has got a lot of buoyancy to it and you kind of come under the board and as long as you attach the leash you're never more than 10-15 feet under the water you know and Once the board hits the surface, then you know where the surface is. But if your leash snaps and suddenly you can get pushed to 20, 30 feet deep, plus you don't have the vest, that's when you'd be in real trouble. So um, yeah, probably that day I was unlucky that the vest didn't work, but I was lucky that my leash didn't
0: break. Does that change your mentality of going out the next day to do it? And you said in the beginning of this, you're married, you have a wife, you have a kid what is the thought process when stuff like that happens to continue to do this?
1: Um, The thought process after that wipeout was that um, if I can survive that, I can survive anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good to go now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm fine. I can handle this. No issue here.
1: No, look, I mean, you know, I think you go through stages. There's been times, Um, over the years where, you know, I've thought like, you know, what am I doing this for? Is it really worth it? Um, do I still want to do it? Um, and then there's times where I just love it and it's the best thing. And I just can't wait for the next big swell. And I think you have ebbs and flows, you know, and right now in my life, I'm almost 50. You know, I've only got five, eight more years left. So I'm really, um, I'm pretty gung-ho at this stage and, uh, I'm loving it. I love surfing big waves. It's a, it's, it's what gives me my life energy. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be difficult when I eventually have to, uh, start calming down.
0: And it's gotta be difficult. I mean, I'm just thinking long-term your daughter's going to get right into this and then you're going to be on the sidelines watching and it's going to be like a role reversal. I mean, you'll be surfing forever, but she's going to get this bloodline. I've already seen it on the YouTube or on the Instagram. Like she's got it.
1: Yeah. I don't know about that. Uh, She's, she's very clever for her age. And I think she'll be way too smart to (laughs) be a big wave surfer. (laughs) I think she'll just love surfing and uh, yeah, hopefully she, she, yeah. Um, Obviously I'll support her if she, if that's the route that she wants to go, but uh, I mean, girls are way smarter than us boys. So (laughs) let's see.
0: so they do big wave competitions is that what are your thoughts i guess on competition when it comes to specifically big waves do you want to keep it pure do you want to keep competitions to like help blow the sport up and hopefully get the younger generation paid how do you feel about competition in big wave surfing
1: i love competition um in big wave surfing um uh, Selfishly, for me, uh, the best big waves in the world are pretty crowded these days. Um, you know, can have 20, 30, up to 50 people out at Mavericks. Um, and in the day, but the day of competition, you've only got six guys in the water. So it's an absolute pleasure to surf those days. And you really get to showcase, you know, you, you get to sit where you want to sit in the lineup, catch the exact waves that you want to catch in the right position. So, um, you know, for that reason alone, I love competing. But like you said, it's also a stepping stone to obviously to show who the best guys are um, and for those guys to to get sponsorships and for sponsorship dollars to go in the right direction. And then also as a stepping stone for, for the younger generation to give them something to work towards. Like, you know, they want to get in the Mavericks contest. It's going to take them a few years to get there um, just to get invited and then to win so it's really an amazing goal for, uh, for, 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 young kids. And it's the same when we had a dungeons event, it was amazing for the South African guys. And then they could get into the dungeons event, win the dungeons event, get an invite to Mavericks and, and kind of follow the path that, that, that I've followed. And unfortunately the events have fallen away, um, over recent years. And, um, that is a shame.
0: Do you see the future of it being, and this is a segue obviously to the, um, Edge of the Earth series that you guys did, but do you see the future of sport being documentary style, you know, longer form, or do you see it as competition?
1: Um, I think there needs to be. Uh, it has to be both. Um, I think the competition's important, like I said, to kind of show who the best guys are, and then those guys can get, can then take it to a documentary level. Or whatever otherwise it's it's very um, disjointed you know uh, these days with social media uh, pretty much anyone can go catch a medium-sized wave and claim themselves as a big wave surfer and suddenly you know that's what they are um, and that's it's uh, the same for any sport you know so you need that competition um, to kind of push the sport forward to make sure the right people are, are getting the, the, the sponsorship dollars and then from there obviously take a level and that gets it to the mainstream uh, audience so yeah it's a uh, it all needs to happen
0: I love that answer because you see competition as weeding people out and a lot of people don't see that as that I mean maybe that's the wrong term but like this is who's yeah, the it's best and-
1: it's the wrong term. imagine you know there was no tennis competitions uh, I mean, anyone can claim that they're the best tennis player in the world if there's if no one's playing in the U.S. Open, you know, against each other. So, yeah, it's, and that would be the same for any sport, you know, so skateboarding, whatever it is, skiing, snowboarding. Um, yeah, you need that, you need competition, and competition's healthy, especially for young people. It's what drives young people, you know, um, and it's easy for someone who's older and or he doesn't enjoy competition to say oh well it's you know it's 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 anti the sport it's anti what you're trying to do but young people love it they love to compete school level and um you know i don't know why you would uh, want to uh, take that away from them.
0: how are they and we'll shift gears here soon but how are they judged style like what is the judging for a big wave competition
1: well, big wave surfing is a lot easier to judge than, than regular surfing because uh, regular surfing is, you know, there's a lot of different styles and a lot of different ways to approach a wave, and it's quite difficult mm-hmm. to kind of separate the, the two. But big wave surfing is easy. You basically catch the biggest wave from as deep as possible and make it to the shoulder, and you're going to score a 10-point ride. So um, it's, it's actually pretty straightforward, um, and uh, yeah, just go out there and catch the biggest wave in your heat, and you're pretty much going to win.
0: <laughs> and how how long of boards are you riding? I know it changes in conditions, but like you're not on short boards here. No,
1: uh, you're not riding short boards. So uh, the, uh, an average board length on the regular tour would be kind of between five, ten, and, and six foot. Um, whereas you know the smallest board you're going to get on on the big wave in a big wave competition is is a 9 0 but most people are riding kind of 10 10 foot boards.
0: And you're riding on a on a six-story building, six to eight eight story building. How does the floor just not drop out on you? Or does it? Like you're just prepared for that. Well I mean, it what, does.
1: You saw my wife but it did drop out out of me. So I mean uh surfing I mean the most important thing that you need to know to surf big waves is um, you have to have an ocean knowledge and you have to be able to read the ocean and read the waves that are coming towards you, um, and that takes years and years of experience. and That's why someone like myself, still at forty nine years old, I could still kind of compete with with the youngs st- in their twenties. Um, uh, uh, the crazier, the are better skill wise, they they're a better surfer than me, but. I've got all the experience and the ocean knowledge, which waves to catch, where to sit in the lineup. And so the best big wave surfers in the world are actually kind of between the age of 35 and 45. That's kind of your your, your prime age where's, where your your mental capabilities catching up with your physical capability and you're kind of in the in the center. So, um, yeah. And for me, I keep training, keep in shape, and I keep getting better mentally. So, yeah. Um, that's how I keep beating those 25-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> what does training look like? Um training's a lot of surfing, uh, you know, like any sport, you know, uh, surfing in big waves. Nothing can beat that that training. And obviously we, you know big waves don't come along all the time, so whenever you get the opportunity to surf big waves, that's important. Um you know I love sports I love boarding, I love kart Um, I love spearfishing, which will keep me in shape. And um, obviously, as I've got older, I've had to start doing gym work, personal trainer, um, you know, specific movements and and stuff like that to keep me going. So, um, you know, it's not all kind of that gym training, but um, there's definitely some of that involved in there.
0: And then what's your take on foils? Because that's like the hot new trend is everyone foiling, whether it be in the sailing world, in the surfing world. Now there's e-foils.
1: Yeah, yeah, the hot new trend. That's exactly what it is. Um, (laughs) I like anything that keeps me in the water, um, you know. And I think as long as you're not foiling near anyone else, because it's dangerous, you know. It's it's, uh, there's no room for it in a crowded lineup. And um, actually, using waves that are good for foiling aren't necessarily good for surfing. So you can just get away by yourself. And, and and foil with one or two mates and away from a crowd and then it's it's an amazing sport but it's uh, it got a bit of a bad rep from people taking it to a crowded lineup which just seems ridiculous to me
0: yeah it's funny that it's even trickled down to like me knowing that like again i am not a surfer but i like <laughs> you should know that
1: you should know that don't take like a knife underwater enough through a crowded lineup it's yeah
0: yeah, I don't think people understand how much power the foil makes, and how no. it's it's it's. I've foiled a couple times, and it's wild. The power that you can create out of that thing is crazy. And I've worked for I worked for Sail GP, a uh, a uh, sail racing league, and like those foils will cut a whale in half, like,
1: oh, yeah, not for sure at forty not
0: miles enough. an hour. Like it's
1: uh-huh fun i mean how much right on top of the water like a seagull it's the most incredible feeling i mean it's it's it is it is a, it is an amazing sport yeah and it's a it's a pity it got a bad rap from a few you know rotten eggs but uh, you know i think it's settled now and and people accept it and, and you use it when you use it
0: yeah and it's big it's big where i am i'm in new york in the states and we're on the great lakes and we have a lot of a lot of people kite surf but we get a lot of chop so Mm-hmm. It, it keeps them above the chop and that's where you know it's people love it because when our wind is good our lakes are shit so it's yeah it's we're not getting rolling waves we're not getting we just get wind and chop it's just shit <laughs> so it's it's become very popular here and it's um i think like you said it's settled as far as like it got this big pop and trend and everyone was everywhere with them, and it's like these are weapons like weapons should be used properly at the right time with the right people. So that's all we'll say about foiling. Yeah.
1: but What an amazing tool. And I think eventually I think maybe the biggest waves in the world will be ridden with the foil. I wouldn't be surprised at that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's an art for sure. What about, do you just snap boards nonstop on these big waves? I mean, I, we're going to talk uh, about your board company and how they're probably the most durable boards on the planet, but like, how are you not just snapping boards under pressure?
1: No, look, I do break some boards, not as many as you'd expect. And, um, we just make them a lot stronger. You know, if you glass them strong enough, um, you won't break them, but then obviously the weight becomes an issue and the performance comes an issue. So over the years, we kind of found a balance between performance and weight, um, and ov- obviously longevity because you want these things to last, um, uh, they're expensive and they're obviously not that great for the environment so you now we found a balance you know every year, but uh yeah you would think you're gonna break a board every time you go out in waves like that but that's not that's not the case luckily
0: what was the idea behind twig surfboards where you just feel like there was no market for what you wanted to do like what was the why did you create your own board company? Because as much fun as it sounds, it's probably not that fun all the time.
1: Um, look, again, I think it was you know it was kind of a selfish thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, ca- it came from necessity. you know traveling with these huge 10foot boards was very difficult. Um, you know the airlines look at you like you like you're crazy and, and, and it costs thousands of dollars to move around the world with them. So I thought, well, let me get a factory in each country do my own files. I can send the files to the factory. They can have them ready when I arrive. And um, then I don't have to travel with the boards and all my boards are fairly similar around the world. And um, after have have a couple of factories who who, who were into that, and uh, that's kind of how it started. And then people kind of wanted my files and wanted my boards and it grew into a nice little business. And you know, I have a factory in Australia and South Africa and Europe um the u.s hawaii um and uh yeah they all sell a few of my boards every year and it's uh, so what turned into to just not even to travel with boards turned into a nice little business for me
0: yeah and it seems like you have a really good again you have i mean you call we'll call them shapers um in like every country which is great to see and it's fun and it's interesting like if i live in the u.s and i want to get a u.s made board i can get yeah. a twig board made in the u.s or if I'm in Australia same thing like that's a really cool story and you have an eco like surf story too which is just obviously a no-brainer being someone who hangs out outside but like are they as strong how much money goes into r&d for that to create cleaner safer you know environmentally friendly surfboards
1: Yeah, look, we're always looking for new materials to use that are more, you know, ecologically viable. Um, uh, And we have moved to kind of flax, uh, hemp, cloth. There's bioresins. The EPS cores are are better for the environment than than the PU. Um, So, you know, we'll never have a surfboard that's 100% um, biodegradable. But at least we're moving in the right direction. It's now just convincing people that that's the direction to move. And unfortunately, the materials are, are more expensive, which is the first thing that people balk at. Um, and secondly, it's been difficult to prove that these materials perform as good, if not better, than the materials uh, from the past. So we're in that process. It's been a lot more than I thought. I thought people would jump on it. Um, you know, and gladly pay an extra hundred dollars, thousand rand to, to, to have a board that's, that's better for the environment, but it's been a quite a slow process, but uh, you know, just keep chipping away. And eventually um, I wish there were still a few contests and I could ride the boards and, 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 and win an event. Cause I think that's what it'll take to, to kind of change people's mindset. But uh, yeah, we'll see.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned just how you build them. Like, you're not buying a new surfboard every year ideally. So like that sustainability story goes longer as like you can keep this board. You don't have to replace this board every year or every other year. Like they're built to last which then makes it, you know, a longer sustainability story because it's not just going to go hang up or live in the corner of your garage for the next 20 years and rot. It's like no, this thing's made to last and built properly which I think is important in our world because we live in a world where we replace things every year. You get a new jacket every year, every year. And it's like, no, 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 this is made to last. Like, use it and continue to use it.
1: No, no, for sure. And also, uh, big wave boards definitely uh, become like hand, hand-me-down hand product as well, you know. Um, the younger guys who can't afford a new one are always looking for secondhand. You, you, it's very easy to sell your secondhand big wave boards. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a good big wave board should last 5, 10 years, Uh and be able to go through several surfers hands um so definitely better than the little you know performance high performance surfboards for small waves
0: yeah just turnover turnover um let's talk about hbo max edge of the earth the greatest unknown for anyone who doesn't know hbo put hbo put out a four episode series uh and you're you're the last one you're episode four and it's it's the greatest unknown and you can talk about it more than i can so where did you go what was the mission and we'll start with that
1: <clears throat> yeah uh, first of all the the previous three uh um episodes were were amazing and the uh, the um the kayak king one was absolutely insane those guys that was that was crazy to watch so Hopefully the surf one is as is inspiring and as, uh, you know, radical as, as the other ones. But, uh, we basically went, um, up the West coast of Africa, uh, to, to, uh, find and surf this new wave that I, I checked out on Google earth. And, um, we camped out there for three weeks in the desert, um, in the cold. And, uh, we had, we had the most amazing time. It was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, unfortunately in the end we didn't you know score the peak or the wave that we're looking for as good as as we know it can get and will get in the future but we did the groundwork, and uh you know i've already been back once this year and 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 we surfed a little bit better this year and we know a bit more about it and next year we'll go back and eventually you know we'll we'll surf it amazing um but we did score other waves and other days and yeah we just had the best time up there and uh TGR guys are an awesome group of of individuals. Just really fun working with them, and uh, yeah, what else can I say about it? Just it great fun.
0: How did the project come to life? Did TGR approach you? Did you approach them?
1: Yeah. So TGR, I think they they, they um, pitched it to HBO, um, and then once they got the green light, they came to me, and and they were. It took a while for us to kind of narrow down where we would go. We had options like, you know, Madagascar, Chagos Archipelago, um, you know, the West Coast, Mozambique, all sorts of options in Africa for New Waves. And eventually, we went for for, for West Africa. And um, yeah, uh, you know, I was more than just a, a surfer or, or actor or whatever you want to call it. Um, what I did on the show. Um, you know, I, I had to guard them in there. I was, the, I was, the main safety guy. Um, there was a lot of, lot of aspects to that. Um, but it was something that I've been doing my whole life and, um, finally I got paid to do it and, and document <laughs> it correctly, which was, which was great.
0: How was filming? Cause I assume you're not surrounded by filmers all the time when you're, when you're going on these missions, was it different? Was it great like how did it I've, obviously tgr is phenomenal and they do an amazing job capturing but it is different like you're not just out with a couple of your buddies going on a mission like they have to get shots you might have to reshoot things what was that experience like when you were there
1: yeah i mean it was interesting but after a few days i mean you know it, it became kind of second nature pretty quickly um and i have done uh trips before Nothing to that magnitude but i have done you know trips where i've had camera crew and, and and stuff around me um so i was I was quite used to it um obviously you know three weeks with the camera right there i was a little bit nervous <laughs> uh with the first viewing of how you know how how it's going to come out on camera and that but uh yeah the tg guys tgr guys are great and i really enjoyed it i i enjoyed it and um, I enjoyed watching it at, at the end. You know, it brought back a lot of good memories. So, yeah, came out good.
0: Good. <laughs> Is it, we'll call it a success. We'll call it a success. What, I mean, really. My, you saw it. What did you think? What did you think of it? That's That stuff, like when I watch stuff like that, some people watch things and they get inspired to do it. I watch that and I'm like, I'm glad they're doing it so I can watch it. like that's how i feel when i watch like uh, an everest documentary and i'm like some people watch that and they're like oh yeah i want to go do that and i'm like i'm glad they did like i love that for you (laughs) and and i'll stick to new jersey and north carolina waves and i'll just get demolished by them and now i'm good like four footers great i might as well be like dropping in on it eight story tower because I am (laughs) for anyone who hasn't surfed. It's like the most humbling experience on the planet. And the ocean doesn't care who you are and what you are. It will eat you up and spit you out at any moment. And you can pretend like you tame it, but you don't. And may, and you're, I mean, you're world-class. So like, am I wrong on that?
1: No. I mean, that's how I felt when I watched the kayak and the snowboarding one. I mean, how long did they guys those guys walked in the snow for to get up? Oh, uh, that was just, yeah, forever. Yeah, I mean, I've done some some hiking in the mountains, but and, and yeah, that was just ridiculous. And those kayak guys, I mean, that was so crazy. Um, so yeah, that's how I felt when I watched the other ones. But when I watched mine, I was like, uh, we probably could have been a little bit more hardcore. I didn't think that. Yeah, you know, I kind of didn't think that we lived up to the. Especially the kayaking one. <laughs> those guys, what those guys went through was insane.
0: Yeah, kayaking is just so. I mean, it's just rugged. It's just raw. Like you just get pushed around in a kayak. Like they're in control, but like, man, I feel like that's the loosest sport there is as far as control. Like you are. Yeah,
1: that was a heavy. That was a heavy river, and those guys. I mean, in the rain, camping in the rain like that. I don't know. They I don't just.
0: Know. <laughs> It's,
1: and they didn't even make it. They had to get airlifted out. They were there what twenty four days. But I think sweat, that's part uh, of the story.
0: Like I yeah, love, no, I love yeah. those stories because you, failure is so much, a part of our sports, whether it be mountaineering, mm-hmm. you know, big wave surfing, and I love when they show it. Uh, I I interviewed yeah. Adrian, who's in. I think he's in episode two or three of. But I interviewed him and like so much of his career is failure. Like he's eversted I think 7 times and he's done K2 once or twice like but those are his accolades, but he doesn't tell you how many times he failed getting to the top of Everest and how many times he failed K2 and sometimes it's not even in your control. Like he didn't fail because he didn't have the energy, he failed because it decided to get clouds decided to come in and like weather came in so i'd love when major outlets like an hbo which arguably that got more eyes on our sports than a tgr film would have you know what i mean like them partnering people click it which is awesome it's it's, But but none
1: of the none of the trips were particularly successful i mean the snowboard guys didn't get the best snow the kayak guys didn't make it. The climbing guys all got COVID and, 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 and you know, it just was a disaster. And we, we didn't really score the peak either, you know. Um, um, we didn't get very, very big waves. We got big waves, but not giant waves. So, yeah, that's interesting that you say that. Um,
0: yeah, um, to me, that's what makes our sports. Um, and failure is so much of it. And so much of it is failing successfully so you can go back and do it again Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like our sports are dangerous people die doing what we do and it's like you need to fail successfully so that you can go back next year and attempt it and sometimes the stars don't align and that's part of being an elite athlete is knowing that those stars don't align and knowing that you can't push through because Danger or timeline, like it's just a reality of our sports, and I think you know it's not the Super Bowl. We're not in a controlled arena. Like yeah. it's just a different sport. I'm not taking away from those sports, but like this, we are. We need the nature, but the nature can be our worst enemy at any moment. So it's. I like I like that there was failure. I think that's important for people to see because they only. And I'm saying they, as the general public, they only see either a horrible crash on, like, Wake Up America or whatever, or news outlet. They only see, like, a really bad crash or, like, Cody Townsend skiing that that line, that really skinny line. General public doesn't see anything else of our sport unless they care about it. Yeah. So, I don't know. I liked it.
1: Uh, yeah. I liked it, too. I think, uh Yeah. I was enthralled by the other three episodes. So hopefully, yeah, you know, people got the same thing from our from our one.
0: Yeah, and I think it was they are all different, which helps. It just tells a different story of so much the same, but so much different. Um, which is cool.
1: All different, but I mean, surfers love to ski and snowboard. Um, I've never kayaked, but that looks like good fun and, and similar to what I do. And then the climbing, a lot of climbers, surfers, yeah, it's all it's it's very much the same skydiving yeah
0: yeah it's all inter- intertwined in some way shape or form uh is there hopes of a season 2 uh there are hopes
1: there are hopes i guess you know once hbo gets the numbers and see, see sees how well it performs and uh yeah um yeah definitely
0: and do you have a thought already on what you want to do you don't have to say it but like do you have something in mind if they give you the green light
1: We've got something wild in mind. We have to outdo out- the kayakers now.
0: <laughs> you gotta one up them. That's how our sports. to
1: one up them, oh no, Yeah, no, I've had this place on my radar for many, many years. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be a crazy one for sure.
0: Amazing. What is next for Twiggy? Like, what? Where do you see yourself in five years, ten years? Like, what is the sustainable future for you?
1: Well, next, next, I've got this amazing project with uh, Waves for Water, um, which is an NGO. I'm taking them to Madagascar. So I've spent a lot of time in Madagascar over the years, just traveling around and surfing around there. So I'm taking them back to all these villages that looked after me over the years. And um, we are going to be putting uh, water purification uh, 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 stations at all the schools in these villages along Along the coast, so uh, we're going to go for two weeks, and so that's that's an awesome project. Um, stoked to be involved with that, and then, yeah, basically I spend uh, the northern hemisphere winters in the northern hemisphere. I start in Europe, Hawaii, California uh, for six months from October through March, and then I spend my winters back in Africa here. So uh, that's basically my plan for the next twenty years. <laughs> <laughs>
0: i love that that's like the best possible answer you could ever give uh sponsors to thank people to thank and where can people follow your story your journey
1: yeah unbelievably i'm actually picking up new sponsors at my age you know it always you know that's so stoked for the support and that you know uh, rumple just picked me up and put this podcast together Uh, uh thank you um I'm sponsored by Visla and Iciris and uh, uh, Rocket Surfboards. I've got a bunch of them, Future Fins, uh, Foil F1 Foil Company, amazing foil company. Um, yeah, so just always surprised me that people will pay me to surf, but <laughs> very stoked. And I, I, you know, I work my hardest for them. And uh, yeah, just my wife and, and little Billy both. Thanks for, for the love and support.
0: I love that. And where, If my last question, if you have any one piece of advice for anyone who wants to get into big wave surfing, what is it? Um,
1: just take your time. You know, start small. Make sure you got the right boards for whichever waves you're tackling, and just slowly, incrementally, just get bigger and bigger. And if you enjoy it, then that's the most important thing. It's got to be fun. It's got to be enjoyable. Can't be doing it for any other reasons. And, uh, yeah, just put your head down, pedal hard, and go.
0: I love it. Twiggy, thank you so much for your time.
1: Thank you. Really appreciate it, eh?
0: Absolutely.